0: Welcome back to The Emily Show. This week, we are catching up with everything that's going on in the legal case of Eight Passengers, well, the Eight Passengers YouTube channel regarding Ruby Frankie, her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, and a lot of questions surrounding Kevin Frankie. Will he be charged with anything or will he not? Why is his lawyer on a media blitz and everything his lawyer has said? And did he really want his oldest daughter arrested for robbery and or burglary and we're gonna take a look at that body cam footage to see what happened in an interaction after the search warrants were issued in the arrest of Ruby Frankie for child abuse. So that is what we are covering today. But if you want to make sure dinner is covered, I have to recommend you to Green Chef. It's literally cooking right now while I'm recording this episode and it's wafting into my office. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Feel your best during this busy fall season with delicious nutritionist-approved recipes featuring clean ingredients. And get 60% off with our link down below and free shipping using code 60EMILYBAKER at greenchef.com. Slash 60 Emily Baker. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. If you have been following the Ruby Frankie Jody Hildebrand case, that the reason everybody's really talking about Ruby Frankie is because she and her husband Kevin and their family had a very large YouTube channel um, called Eight Passengers, which was the number of of the number of folks in the household with their children and the two adults. That is why this case is in the media. It's also a very very sad case of a heroic young victim who escaped from Jody Hildebrand's house to get to a neighbor's who called for help. and that's why Jody and Ruby were arrested in this case is because of that child's escape. We're not going to get into the charges again today. They can be very upsetting, and I'm not going to get into more details learned about the abuse that is alleged in this case. Those details are available, and it is deeply, deeply disturbing and sad stuff. That, some of that is covered in my first episode. More of that has been covered around the internet. But for today, I want to catch up on where the criminal proceedings stand procedurally, what's going on with the juvenile case that you might've seen in the news recently, and all the questions that I've been receiving about Kevin Frankie that we haven't covered yet. I am not going to be covering this case week in and week out like I do with some other cases. I'm going to be grouping the updates together more like this, just because it is such a heavy case. I tend to tread very lightly in cases with child victims. I find them personally very hard. I did not prosecute them when I had the opportunity to opt out um, as a prosecutor because they are hard. And this this case hurts anyone in the heart, I think. Um but the legal standing of the case and the legal posturing of the case and what's happening with Kevin Frankie and all of the things his lawyer have said, I also find to be helpful in looking at this case and explaining this case, and I hope you find it helpful as well. So let's take a look at the criminal case updates for Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand first. Ruby Frankie had requested an expedited bail hearing and then requested to continue it due to voluminous discovery. With the voluminous discovery, I'm assuming it is not just records, but also interviews, also potentially data dumps from devices, videos taken off of the YouTube platform. That are going to have to be gone through because the prosecutors are going to go through whatever they have access to, and they're probably going to subpoena YouTube to get anything that is either um, recently deleted or is on the channel, not deleted, but not publicly viewable because YouTube did take the channel down off of the platform. So, lots and lots of videos that prosecutors are going to be going through, but the defense will also have to go through. So, that is my uh, speculation on what part of that voluminous discovery might be, as well as body cam footage from search warrants. We know that in this case, that two of the minor children, and there are four, two of them were found at Jody Hildebrand's house, two were found in another location, but search warrants were served at multiple locations to locate the other two children after or during what the arrest period, like during that day that they were arresting um Jody Hildebrand and Ruby Frankie after the children had been taken to the hospital, etc. cetera. So that is part of what was going on. So you've got body cam footage from all of those search warrants being served as well. No date has been set for Ruby Frankie's next court date. We have not seen an arraignment yet. We have not seen anything happen. No arraignment, no further Bail review, nothing. The docket is absolutely silent in the criminal case. As for Jody Hildebrand, on September 8th, and we're just gonna look at this document together real quick, looking at this document from September 8th, to, uh, 2023, this is from Jody Hildebrand's attorney on her part of this case, because both Jody Hildebrand and Ruby Frankie are charged with six counts of child abuse each, three counts going to each minor victim. So three counts, two victims, for both. The children were recovered from Jody Hildebrand's home. The motion was for an expedited detention hearing, so they had been held on no bail, and this was asking for that to be reviewed with a full detention hearing. And the grounds on that were, quote, since being incarcerated in this case, defendant has experienced a life-threatening medical issue resulting in her hospitalization for seven days. And then due to the judicial conference, the court's law and motion calendar on September 14th has been vacated. Counsel for Defense, uh, defendant, respectfully requests a special setting for the court to hear the issues of defendant's detention. That was on September 8th. In Jody Hildebrand's case on September 18th, we saw a very short stipulated motion being filed saying that. Based on a stipulated motion filed in the matter, the status review bail hearing scheduled for September 18th is continued without a date. So, in that subsequent 10 days, the attorneys for Jody Hildebrand moved the case to the same judge as Ruby Frankie's judge and asked that the bail motion be taken off calendar. The only motions we have seen since then a subpoena from defendant Jody Hildebrand. To St. George Medical Center regarding the children's medical records. St. George is where they were taken for treatment after um, they were recovered by law enforcement from Hildebrand's house. So, trying to get those medical records, it seems that those then would not have been turned over in criminal discovery just yet, though I'm sure that will be forthcoming because it's going to be part of the case. We also had a second, and I don't know why these are out of order on my file, but we had a second. Request that the detention hearing be put over um, for the defendant to have sufficient time to review the discovery. That motion from Hildebrand was very similar, but there were two made there um, from the attorneys, and that was granted by the court. And again, there are no dates in the criminal case at this time. But what has been ongoing is the juvenile case, and we're going to talk about that right now. The juvenile case, and the reason I call it the juvenile case is because it's pending in juvenile court. It is more of a family law case. It's regarding uh, the care and custody of the four minor children in this case. Obviously, their mother is incarcerated, and we're hearing from the lawyer, and we'll get into this more later, that the father has been out of the home for over 13 months. The children are currently within the custody of the state, meaning that they are placed in, um, I'm not exactly sure where they are placed, but they can be placed in state custody, foster custody. But they have been placed by the state, not with family at this point. The attorney for Kevin Frankie has said that he wants the children to be placed with family, ideally with Kevin Frankie. Those initial proceedings were open to the public. So you saw some reporting out of early proceedings that I am not going to get into here, but you saw some early reporting out of initial hearings regarding the children and regarding statements made by Ruby Frankie during those hearings. Those hearings have since been sealed. So there will be no public access to these hearings and no public access to the documents filed in that case, determining where the children should be, how the children should be, and um, the safety of those children. There is a hearing coming up on that case for October 17th, and we will see what happens. But we know that Kevin Frankie is pushing to have the children with him. We're going to talk about, in a little bit, everything going on with. Kevin Frankie and whether or not he could be charged down the line and all of all of the kind of pros and cons of that from a perspective of can he be charged or not charged and what's going on there but these proceedings are continuing on in the juvenile court for the care and custody of those four minors and where they will be placed i think there is probably um concern this would be my speculation from the prosecutor's perspective, and potentially from the defense as well, that if Kevin Frankie is going to be a witness in this case, if he is not charged ever with anything, should he have care and custody of the children when he's been out of the home for at least a year, um, hasn't been with the children during that period of time? And there's always concern about what he may or may not say to the children when he is taking care of them with this ongoing case against their mother. So. All in all, I'm glad the custody proceedings and the juvenile court proceedings have been sealed. I was quite surprised that they were so public. Most proceedings in court involving minors where the minor is kind of the subject of the case are sealed um, for their protection. Of course, when they are victims in a criminal case, that is not going to be sealed. If they are the defendants in a criminal case, that is generally sealed. So, When you're dealing with juvenile court from a criminal perspective, that's generally sealed. In Utah, juvenile court um, is functioning in kind of the family law of where the children are going to be and what the parental rights are going to be, etc. So we know that Ruby Frankie has been transported to attend that hearing later this week um, from custody and is attending those hearings while she is in custody and while these charges are pending. So that's what's going on regarding custody that is playing out in juvenile court not in the criminal law sense, in the family law sense. I'm glad it's sealed. I advocate very strongly for courts being open, but when it is subject and dealing with the placement of children who are also um, victims of crime, we have to have, I think, that level of Protection and sensitivity within the system to make sure that not everything is public. It's also a very high-profile case, so knowing exactly where the children are, I don't know if is helpful having every single detail of those proceedings um, recorded to the public. And then whatever treatment the children may need, not just physically but also mentally, also I think doesn't need to be a matter of public record. It doesn't illuminate the criminal proceedings in any way, and it feels very invasive when you are dealing with minor children recovering from uh, parental or alleged at this point, parental abuse, though we know the children had physical injuries that they obtained while in the home. But the charges have not played out through the court system yet. Let's talk a bit about Kevin Frankie, the father of these children, and why he hasn't been charged And did he really try to have his older daughter charged with burglary? But first, we need to thank our next sponsor. Thank you to our sponsor, Honey Love. It is fall, and at least for me, sweater weather is finally here. And one of the things I hate is when my bra is not smooth in the back when I'm wearing my favorite sweaters. It is just an absolute No go for me, which is what I love about Honey Love. From their incredible bodysuits that have 360 degree compression that smooths all the bits and pieces while having lift and support without underwire, to all of their bra tank tops, which I really enjoy. And one of their most popular, the crossover bra, which actually looks like a cute little cami if you are wearing a v neck or something that has a more plunging neckline for events or just an everyday boost of confidence and comfort. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash That's honeylove.com slash for 20% off. So stay sexy and supported with Honeylove. Let's get back to today's episode. I always appreciate our sponsors allowing us to cover episodes, Um, particularly where the cases are sensitive and the videos and what have you are not monetized. It is such an incredible level of support to allow me to create the content that we all want to talk about in a non-sensationalized, non-clickbaity, just talking about the law and what's going on in this case type of way. It really, for me as a creator, is very supportive. And I hope it's the kind of coverage that you appreciate as an audience. So, what's going on with Kevin Frankie? For the audio audience, I'm going to talk it through a little. We're going to watch a bit of a body cam footage and talk about what happened at the home. I'm going to give you some background on that and I will talk you through the video. It really is just body cam footage. Hearing what is said, I think is much more helpful than necessarily seeing Kevin Frankie putting boxes in the trunk of his car a little bit of background leading up to this body cam footage. And some of this is coming from reports from the Freedom of Information Act request that got the incident report that this body cam footage is connected or related to. So the incident report uh, being reported by, I think Fox News was the first to report it, and then other, other outlets as well, indicates that the incident report shows that Kevin Frankie called law enforcement on September 1st after the search warrant was served in that home looking for two minor children who were found at another location not in the home that Kevin Frankie and Ruby Frankie had shared before Ruby Frankie and the kids were apparently down with Jody Hildebrand. He stated that the door had been kicked in and damaged and electronics were missing. In that incident report, he told law enforcement that the oldest daughter, Sherry Frankie, was the one he believed that came into the home. He stated she's not allowed in the home and believes that she entered unlawfully and wants her charged with burglary. That's what the incident report says. That's what's noted by police based on what Kevin Frankie would have told them. Can police reports be wrong? Yes. Is that somebody's you know in taking what he's saying and writing it down yes is it an audio recording no it's a written recording of what he said what's interesting to me though is that even though his lawyer says no he didn't want his oldest daughter arrested which is a lot of what the headlines are saying the body cam footage well let's talk about the body cam footage let's talk about what um what you think the body cam footage shows when he is asking law enforcement about the electronics that he says were taken out of the home. The notes from law enforcement in the incident report also indicate that this is the older daughter. This had been her home. And, you know, is she really not allowed in the home? Is this something that law enforcement needs to figure out? Or is this something that, that really he needs to figure out with his oldest daughter, who is not a minor, but is his oldest daughter. So let's go take a look at that body cam footage real quick. So for the audio audience, that is what you're going to hear now. And it shows Kevin Frankie in what appears to be a parking lot. I'm assuming it's the parking lot from the police station, because what has been reported is that the oldest daughter Sherry dropped the electronics off at the police station, and then the police turned them back over to him. The note on the video is that this was released under the Utah Government Records Access and Management Act ordinance, released to uh, KUTV, who has done really excellent local reporting on this case. There you go. The uh officer wearing the body cam is handing over bins that have what looks like some journals and some books and some electronics in them saying, there you go. And Kevin and Frankie is putting them into the back of a vehicle. He's examining the boxes, checking to see if it's things are there? there. The officer says, is it all there? I... Yes. He says, yes. Explain to me again why this was not a robbery. And then he says to the police officer, and I wonder if this is the same officer that took the report, explain to me again why this is not a robbery. So explain to me again why this is not a robbery. I will explain to all of you why this is not a robbery, and then we'll go from there. But this meeting on body cam footage, also from September 1st, would have taken place after the incident report that we talked about. So when he's saying, explain to me again why this is not a robbery, and the officer will start to talk about it. Here's the thing. Robbery is a taking of property by force. So it's never going to be a robbery if Sherry accessed the home after the search warrant was served at the home and took things out that belonged to the kids, especially if Sherry, the oldest daughter, anticipated potentially taking care or wanting to take care of the younger siblings, which seems reasonable and possible to me. So if those uh, electronic devices were things that belonged to the children, then that's possible. Um, I will talk about whether or not or why these items are being turned back over to him because you know when property is taken during a search warrant, you're not going to get it back that quickly. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So electronic devices were taken out of the home, it seems, by Sherry, because then they were turned over to police, and police gave them back to Kevin. Never going to be a robbery, because a robbery involves a taking of property by force. A burglary can be a taking of property from a residence, a business a, you know, a target or whatever. So she's going to start explaining, she, the law enforcement officer, is going to start explaining to him why this isn't technically a burglary and not a robbery. (laughs) She addresses it like a burglary because he's using the wrong words and she's not trying to be picky with him. I would have been like, "Um, sir, it's never going to be a robbery. Nobody took these from you by force. They were taken out of a home. But when Kevin Frankie's lawyer is saying he never wanted his daughter arrested, He's asking law enforcement, "Tell me again why this isn't a robbery." And this is the explanation: because it's a civil issue. It's you guys are family. She's been in the house before. You haven't been in the house in a year. Um, she had interest in the items. She didn't take them with the intention to deprive you of them. So that's that's the theft code. We have to prove intent to. Dep- no intent to permanently deprive is part of what you're going to look at at burglary and with robbery. When you took something, did you really take it with the intent to permanently deprive? And that is not what is happening here. So this officer is explaining, we have to prove that she intended to deprive you of the items. And it seems like law enforcement was like, hey, he's saying that you took electronics. And she's like, okay, here, take them back, Um, is fine. Will this come up in the custody case? Perhaps. We have to prove intent to deprive you of the items, um, and that wasn't her intent in having them. So the detective sergeant said that we're not going to charge her for anything. The officer explained to Kevin Frankie, the detective sergeant said that we're not going to charge her for anything. So law enforcement is explaining to Kevin Frankie again: we're not going to charge your eldest daughter for taking these items out of your house, which also substantiates. What is being reported that was in the incident report that he wanted charges brought for burglary? And he asks again when he picks up the items, tell me again why this isn't something that's a charge. And they say, we're not going to charge him for anything. His response is a quizzical look. Okay. I'll do some more research on that. And because he says it a little bit low, he says, okay, I'll have to do some more research on that. hmm Doesn't take law enforcement at their word. Says, I'll have to do some more research on that. On some more research on why his daughter is not being charged with burglary. No, there's no intent to deprive. So, if you're really worried about the items being taken and the items have been returned, what is the continued problem here? The items have been returned. You're welcome to do that. If you want to follow up with our detective, so another officer says, You're welcome to do that. If you want to follow up with the detective, you may do so. Yeah, he'll be here on Tuesday. His name's Sergeant McCoy. And then they're telling him yeah. who he can who he can inquire further to. And that is the end of that body cam footage obtained by KUTV. So the incident report and the body cam footage both clearly indicate to me that he was curious about pursuing charges for taking items out of the home. And when you initially see the items, it looks like a laptop, a number of journals and things like that. Here is the other question I know that you are probably wondering. Why weren't these things taken in a search warrant? I have not seen the search warrant for the homes other than the home where the minor victims were recovered from. I have not seen the search warrant returns on those either. So, and I don't think they are publicly available, the search warrants from the other properties. If they had an expedited search warrant to look for the other children Then they are serving search warrants in an urgent fashion to look for the other two children based on the fact that they knew there were four minor children to this family and two were recovered and then taken to the hospital um, in conditions that are suggestive of uh, child abuse and mistreatment. So they would be looking specifically for the other two children and might have very narrow search warrants to that. It's not that you can go in to the home, look for the two children, go, they're not there. Okay, let's go take all the electronics. Law enforcement can't go outside the bounds of those search warrants. So if they were just to locate those children, then they are not searching for other evidence um, and digital evidence of anything. They might have been able to look for things that, connect to the way that the children were found, the condition the children were found in. Um, We know tape was involved. So tape, for instance, might be on there, but they might not have had enough probable cause at that time to extend that search warrant to electronics and all electronics in a household. They were really urgently looking for the other two minor children. So That's why I think that you see these certain electronics that were taken by the older daughter being returned to him. Now, if the older daughter had concerns about those and wanted to try to preserve them, then maybe she took them to turn them over to law enforcement to preserve them. She could potentially give law enforcement evidence that could be used for further search warrants, and those things could have been search warranted down the road and taken Um, cloud accounts and stuff like that can be search warranted as well. It just depends on what information law enforcement has that there would be any digital evidence that would tie into the abuse that's alleged in this case. But if Sherry Frankie was taking those things to try to preserve something or because she believed they belonged to her siblings, it's not a theft with intent to deprive in the way that you would see charged in grabbing items out of a store or going into somebody's home and taking, you know, televisions and and uh, electronics and jewelry and money and things like that. So I'm not surprised that law enforcement was like, this is her home where she grew up. It's we're not charging her with theft. No. But we are going to continue into what Kevin Frankie's lawyer had to say, not just about that video that we've talked about, but in other interviews as well. But first, a word from our final sponsor. Thank you to today's sponsor, Jenny Kane. Lonards, you know I love cozy season, and sometimes that might mean touching up your home with a few pieces that make it feel more festive. What I love about Jenny Kane is all of the pieces can elevate your home for the holidays. So, Whether it's new dinnerware or simply a new tablecloth, Jenny Kane Home has you covered. And if you're really ready to just get cozy, they have incredible hand-poured scented candles and are made in Los Angeles, or a few new pillows. You can never have too many, or just a throw to get cozy under. Well, if you're like me, with my phone by the fire while watching a TV show. Jenny Kane has pieces starting at just $25. Find your forever pieces at jennykane.com slash home. And you get 15% off your first order when you use code Lawnard. That's jennykane, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash home. Promo code Lawnard to get 15% off your first order. It's time for cozy season, Lawners. Let's get back to today's episode. Kevin Frankie's lawyer has had quite a lot to say. He's been on, like, the Today Show. He's been on numerous podcasts. He has stopped for interviews outside of the juvenile court proceedings. Uh, I agreed with a lot of what he said after one of the juvenile court proceedings where he's like, I don't understand why these proceedings aren't sealed. And I'm like, sir, I also don't understand why the proceedings weren't sealed. But what he had to say about the search warrant video to people was, quote, at the time, Kevin was understandably upset that his front door had been broken and that much of his property had been taken, including personal property, as well as private and personal electronic devices and their contents. It was his home and property, and he was never served with a warrant. Moreover, this allowed other third parties who did not live at the home access to his home and property and of which they took advantage. So let's talk about the first part of the statement real quick. They're indicating this is Kevin Frankie's home. It's my understanding that this was the family home and that he had not lived there for 13 months. Yes, it is still his home in the fact that this is where he had lived, but he was living separate and apart from the family to the point that his lawyer in another statement said that he had no idea that Ruby was down in another part of Utah with Jody Hildebrand and the children had no idea um, that they weren't at this home where law enforcement served a warrant to go and look for the other children. And sometimes when law enforcement does that, they will kick in your door, especially if they are concerned about the safety and welfare of the occupants therein. And given the condition that they recovered Victim minor children were in. I would not be surprised that law enforcement um kicked the door in, but it also seemed that at that time no one was home um so when Sherry Frankie went to access this home, it seemed that the door had been broken, and you know Kevin Frankie was upset that they had gone into the home, okay. The lawyer all goes on to say in his statement, notwithstanding what he considered to be a significant and hurtful violation of the sanctity of his home and property, Kevin has taken an ameliorating and healing path. He has taken no action adverse to the police and continues to strengthen the bonds between he and all of his children. I don't think he's in contact with any of his children, so I don't know how he is strengthening the bonds with his children or at least his minor children. Again, um, Sherry Frankie is, I believe, 20. And then there is a son who is right over the age of 18 or 19. So there are two adult children. I don't know how that relationship is going in light of the video where he was very upset that um, no one was being charged with what he called a robbery. So I don't know if he's taking a healing path and it says he's taken no action against law enforcement. Sir, what action do you think you are taking against law enforcement for serving a search warrant to look for minor children that they had reason to believe were in danger. I'm not sure what you're you're going to be able to do with that. And um you weren't living in this home at this time. So the statement the lawyer gave I understand is carefully crafted to again continue the um the Kevin is a victim in all of this um kind of train of PR that's happening. But you don't really address the fact that he's very much inquiring of to law enforcement why no one is being charged. And instead of saying to law enforcement, I understand, thank you for explaining, he goes, I'll have to research that further. Call your attorney, sir, and ask your attorney what a burglary is. Also, um, you haven't lived in the home for 13 months. so." I understand that you now have to deal with the fact that the door has been kicked in and that's probably an, an annoyance, but what electronic devices are private and personal in that home if you've not been living there for 13 months? Those those are my questions. The questions that I'm sure a lot of you have is, is Kevin Frankie going to be charged? When we look at the language of the law in Utah, and when I say we are looking at the law in Utah, I am pulling up Ruby Frankie's information, the charging document, for her um and we're not going to go in depth in these charges because we did that in the last episode where I covered this, But when they talk about the defendant in each case, they said the defendant intentionally or knowingly inflicted or having the care or custody of such child caused or permitted another to inflict serious physical injury. Having care or custody caused or permitted another. So in each of these charges, there is a clause that says, having the care or custody caused or permitted another to inflict. And that is the area of the law that, is going to have to be considered when looking at whether or not Kevin Frankie was out of the home for this period of time, what period of time they are looking at, and can they show that he had custody of care and custody of the children, and it doesn't seem that there were any um parental rights that were terminated or anything like that. It doesn't seem that they were legally divorced that there was a parenting plan in place that there was anything that took away his parental rights to have care and custody of a child, though I wonder if he will argue that he did not have care and custody because Ruby was keeping the kids uh, with Jody and that Jody had interceded in the family and caused them to be more separate. And so therefore, he didn't truly have care or custody of the children, even though he's still their father with parental rights. Um, that he permitted another. So did he permit someone to perpetrate this on his kids? And what did he know? And I think as they continue to build this case and look at this case, because there are two other minor children and we don't know if charges will be brought or if there are any reasons why charges should be brought as to those other children, we just don't know the period of time that they're looking at. But if they are, I think the law, as it's written in Utah, allows to question someone who is in a position of care or custody of children who has permitted this to happen and whether or not Kevin Frankie falls into that. Because I haven't seen any indication or allegation that he has caused injury to these children in this period of time, but that doesn't mean that he is completely in the clear which if he is going to be a witness in this case, is something he is going to have to contend with. We know from statements his lawyer made that he interviewed with law enforcement while the children were in the hospital. And that will also be considered. But we also have heard on that body cam footage, law enforcement saying you haven't even been there for the last year, which also raises the question, what electronics does he have Proprietary ownership in that are in that house that he hasn't lived in for a year. Is that really his laptop or is he recovering Ruby's laptop? Right? I have questions because if you're out of the house for 13 months, isn't your computer like with you? Whose computer is it really? But because they are spouses, even if it is Ruby's computer, it would be looked at as community property. So there are a lot of questions here. Do I think it's clear? No. Do we need a lot more facts? Yes. But is there room in the law in Utah for permitting this harm to happen to children that you are legally responsible for? Yes, there is room in the law for that if the facts support it. What Kevin Frankie's lawyer has been saying to anyone that will listen is that Kevin Frankie Was kept out of the house for 13 months by Ruby. That Jody Hildebrand is really the problem here, and that he is, quote, a victim of Jody Hildebrand. That Jody was the one who convinced Ruby to separate them. That Jody was the one who said that this was the only way to save their marriage. That it's really Jody's fault that he was kept away from his children, not having contact with his children and not around them for the past 13 months. And if he wasn't around them for the past 13 months and did not have contact with them, it would be very hard for prosecutors to prove that he knew what was happening. Now, if children said or the older children knew that the children had been reporting this to him and saying that this is what's happening in Jody's home or with Jody, which could happen, but could also just as easily not happen, then he might not have known if he has not seen them for thirteen months. The difficulty for him is if he is a witness in this case when it goes to trial. I don't know how much empathy a jury is going to have for Kevin Frankie or if it's going to be a jury staring him down saying, "But where were you though? Yeah, you want to come in here and blame Jody Hildebrand." you're their father where were you so his lawyer has been really trying to get out of front of those questions um and i don't know how well that is going to work in front of a jury i don't know how well it's working in the court of public opinion because he allowed someone else to keep his wife and children away from him is essentially what he's saying with no court order with no process just a this is what you need for um, for your family. This is what you need to do to save your marriage. We will see what happens with that. But his lawyer truly is trying to say, um, you know, Kevin is a good father. No one has ever alleged that he's abused the kids. There's never been any accusation of abuse. He wants the kids back under his roof and has talked Quite a lot about how it's been 13 months that Kevin's been out of the house. And I think to the lawyer, he's looking at that going, this shows that he did not know what was happening to his children because he was out of the home for so long. But then again, how is he then asserting a claim over all of this property that Sherry Frankie took out of the home that he hasn't lived at for 13 months? I've got a lot of questions about that. What was also interesting is that um, a private investigator who had been hired by Ruby and Kevin Frankie was interviewed by Jesse Weber on the Sidebar podcast, and that private investigator was hired because Kevin and Ruby were being harassed online, were being threatened online. Somebody had come to their home and rang their doorbell in the middle of the night, which again, if you go to a content creator's home and ring their doorbell, I think most content creators would take that in a threatening manner, or at least a deeply concerning manner, even if nothing else is said. When you go to somebody's home, especially in the middle of the night, it causes concern. Don't go to people's homes. Don't go to content creators' homes. Don't don't do that unless you're invited explicitly by them, like in a text message or on the phone because you're friends. That's a rant for another day. But the investigator was indicating that he was hired by Kevin due to threats being made against the family, but that the investigator wanted to set up meetings at the home and that Kevin Frankie would not allow the investigator to come to the home and everything, everything happened over the phone, which was very interesting to me. If you are hiring a private investigator to try to find out who is making threats to you, why they're making threats to you, and assess your safety and security of your home and your children, I would think that a number one aspect of that would be to do an on-site threat assessment, essentially, of how secure the home is, where you might need security cameras or not, um, and to really have a conversation about the home security that would need you to be in the home. So I thought it was interesting in this interview that the investigator said, you know, I normally do in-home visits with all of my clients because you've been hired as a private investigator to help deal with threats to your physical safety that this investigator was not allowed over to the home and everything was done over the phone, that Kevin Frankie was very upset that law enforcement was not taking seriously enough the threats against his family um, and that people online were directing so much harassment and so many threatening uh, things at their family. He also said that he reviewed, the investigator said that he reviewed what might be causing um, this type of reaction what people might find objectionable, what the heart of the threats were, and had conversations with Kevin Frankie about the videos that people were objecting to online. And he made clear that he did not agree with their parenting style and found the videos troubling, though didn't see anything that he thought was actionable or illegal in reviewing all of those videos, but did indicate that he found them troubling and was trying to have a conversation with Kevin Frankie about that. The reason I bring up the interview with the investigator is because when we're talking about what Kevin Frankie knew and if there were um, alarms here that Kevin Frankie should have been aware of, this investigator might be relevant to period of time raising the flag to Kevin Frankie, saying, hey, the parenting style in these videos is what people are having issues with. This is troubling. This is concerning. This goes um, beyond what most people consider to be strict parenting. This goes outside of those boundaries, and that's why you're seeing such a large response to it online um, and even a petition online regarding that. So that might be very interesting either in the criminal trial or When it comes to sentencing, that these parents had had others point out to them what was concerning. We'll see how that all plays out. The lawyer's statements, very interesting, trying to really blame Jody Hildebrand for Kevin Frankie's absence in his children's life over the past 13 months. So, is this parental alienation by one parent? Uh, Ruby Frankie and Jody Hildebrand. It will be interesting to see, and if that is the case where Kevin Frankie can show, look this is everything we were saying in text, and Ruby was saying, "Don't be here and don't contact the children, then it's very unlikely that Kevin Frankie can or will be charged because it would be very, very difficult to prove now, you guys know that um. I record a lot of these with our members, and I know that our members have questions about this episode. Uh, They got their alert in the Law Nerd app, came on over as we were recording. So we're going to take a look at some of those member questions right now. Troublemaker Baker in the chat said, Sherry doesn't live in the home either, so why did the police let her take those things? From my understanding of reading the reporting about the incident report and seeing it it seems that, and the lawyer's statement, it seems that she entered the home after the search warrant was completed and took those things out of the home. I don't know if law enforcement let her come in and take them, but also when you have a 20-year-old saying, this is my home, I don't know if law enforcement would have questioned that. Like, oh no, I don't live here, but this is, you know, my family home. I don't know if they would have questioned that. The timing seems based on the lawyer statement that she came in after law enforcement was done with those search warrants, so it, hopefully that clarifies that. So Betty in the chat asked, "What would happen if Ruby Frankie implicates her husband? That would be very interesting if she did. However, there isn't any evidence that he was staying with Jody Hildebrand, where the two children who are the victims in this case were recovered and located, and it seems." that digital evidence will also support that he was out of the home for 13 months. But it's my also understanding from everything I've read in this case that Jodia Hildebrand has not spoken to law enforcement at all. So that Ruby Frankie has not spoken to law enforcement at all. Now, if she gets to trial and does that, it might be sort of an empty chair defense where you point at the person that's not there and say that's the person responsible for it. They didn't even charge the husband, but it's him. Um, He did this and he did that. I don't know how well that would play given the facts surrounding this case, but we will see what happens. Lynn asked, since Sherry had the computers and turned them into the police, could the police have imaged the computers before returning them to the father? Not without a search warrant to do so. It seems from everything in this case that Sherry had taken the things out of the home on September 1st, the same day this all went down, when Kevin Frankie discovered that they were taken from the home, he reached out to law enforcement and they arranged for him to get the items back at the police station that same day. So if law enforcement is going to image anything, they would have had to have a search warrant to do so. And there's no indication that they did have a search warrant to do that on September 1st and returned those items to him. Casey Catt asked, Can Kevin be charged for what was going on in the home before he and Ruby separated? It seems to me that everything we have in this case is stemming from the police interaction with the two victim children on August 30th. It doesn't seem that they have tied things back further with young children that can get particularly difficult because time gets really squishy. So when you are looking to go back in time, uh, especially beyond a year, it can be very difficult to solidify when certain things happen unless there had been uh, something like, and I am not saying this is happening in this case, uh, but if there is something like injuries that had uh, been treated at the hospital and then they are pulling together medical records from different places and then putting together a pattern and charging things further back Because then police are like, you know what, this might not have been a fall off of a bike. This might have been something else that can happen if there is documentation of it. It gets much harder based on retelling alone, depending on what the children might have said in interviews, how good their memory is, um, how much they are able to tie things to dates, which can be very difficult for particularly young children, but for anyone um especially under stress or duress that can be difficult so could it happen possibly is it likely no especially with children this young again unless there is more documentary evidence that would support that so hopefully that helps and then C Dan Run asked are youtube videos of ruby frankie admitting to mistreatment of her children allowed to be used as evidence I hate to be a lawyer on this one and say it will depend, but it will depend on how this case moves forward and how, if this goes to trial, how evidence will be presented at trial. But it is possible that those things can come in. They are admissions and might be used as prior admissions, but it's really going to depend on exactly what is said on those videos if those videos are recovered from an authenticated source, like in a search warrant um, or subpoena from YouTube, etc. So it is possible. Are they going to be able to just take a video down that might have been reposted on another channel or on a Reddit or something like that? That gets more difficult to authenticate them. So there are two parts of that inquiry. Is it going to be relevant, admissible evidence? And is it going to be authentic evidence. So those are the two hurdles to what can be used in trial. And it just is going to depend on how this case plays out. It might not be needed um, in this case, or it might be used in rebuttal, depending on how this case proceeds forward. And then Carrie Ann asked, will the ceiling of the child welfare case have any effect on the criminal trial? No, not at all. It protects the, the children. It protects their records. It protects things that really, I personally believe, should be private as they are going through this. So no, I don't think we will. um, We will. I don't think. Why are words hard? I don't think that ceiling will have any impact on the criminal case whatsoever. Um, And if that question is more towards do we think that the criminal case could be sealed down the road, while there will probably be documents that are sealed or certain things that are sealed relating to the children, I don't think the overall case will be sealed in its entirety. It is extremely um, unlikely you have the constitutional right to a public trial, so some things will always be in the light of the public, though some things dealing with sensitive victims may be sealed from public view. There may or may not be cameras allowed, but that doesn't mean that the public won't be able to go in and watch these proceedings happen. So. If it was meant in two ways, I hope I asked it in two ways. And with all of that, Lawnards, thank you so much for being here for another episode of The Emily Show. Raise your glass with me. Today I have a mega mug. Um, And if you are on audio, you will have to come over to the video to see the mega mug. It's in the Lawnard shop, but we have a mega mugs. So may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your fall be glorious and pumpkin spice exquisite. Unless you're not into pumpkin spice, you know, asterisks, your mileage may vary on that well wish. May your family be well and may the odds be ever in your favor. I will see you in the next one. You can stay up to date with everything I'm covering on our free iOS and Android app at lawnerdapp.com or search your app store for Lawnerd. And you can also follow me on social media at The Emily D. Baker. Remember, I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I recap all of that for you in quick bits on Monday. And of course, The Emily Show drops on Wednesdays. Thanks for being a Lawnerd.